And now we're going to get talking to Michael Robinson. It's great to be with you guys, and thanks for an invitation. No, you're, you're more than welcome. Um, I, was, I mentioned there that I was doing a um, whiskey tour today, and I always have, because most of the people we get on these are, are from the States, and I like to tell them about the sort of connections between well, this part of Ireland, the northern part of Ireland, and the, you know, the 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 the, the distilling industry sort of basically started. The foundations of it started with the Scots Irish when they went to the US. But then I always mention the Whiskey Rebellion, um, and just that it was it was a a really sort of crucial part point in in very early American history. Um, like, tell us a bit about the background of the Whiskey Rebellion. How how what, how did it start? How did it lead up to it? The Bradford House was the home of David Bradford. It was built in 1788, and he moved to, to uh, I guess you could call it downtown Washington. Washington was full of log cabins. Now, what, now this is Washington, Pennsylvania. It's not Washington, yeah. D.C. or Washington State. It's Washington, Pennsylvania. Washington, Pennsylvania. And David yeah. was a, a, an attorney. He was also pretty wealthy as a shipper, and he built this stone house in 1788 for his new bride because she didn't want to live out in the country where the indigenous people had a habit of trading licks with the settlers. And this, he, as an attorney, he wanted to be close to the courthouse, which was just up the street. Fair enough. There's one to commute. They don't. So the the Bradford House is our museum that talks about 18th century living on the frontier because the United States at the time ended at the Ohio River. And south on the Ohio River to the Mississippi River, you could go down to Spanish territory where New Orleans was was, uh, controlling commerce and... Mm -hmm. The new country did not want commerce to be controlled by Spain. They wanted the commerce to be controlled in the United States, except it was an 11-day trek across all the mountains to Philadelphia, the capital at the time. Yeah. So the, the, the Bradford House is a national historic landmark, and that's why our organization, the Bradford House Historical Association, exists. Yeah. So we tell the story of David Bradford and how his family lived in the late 18th century. And then across the street, we have a museum that we opened two years ago dedicated to talking about the Whiskey Rebellion. Yeah. So imagine, if you will, David Bradford's being a lawyer and shipping things. And uh, all of a sudden, the new country, uh, the United States, after winning the Revolutionary War Mm -hmm. is saddled with debt. Both the states and the federal government owed about $75 million, which in the late 1700s was a fair sum. Yes. And they wanted to pay that debt off. A lot of the debt was to France, who helped the United States in, in the Revolution. And Alexander Hamilton happened to be the first president's secretary of treasury, George yeah. Washington's treasurer, secretary of treasury. They thought whiskey was a luxury. Yeah. Whiskey was a good way to raise 
money if you put an excise tax on it. So the very first Congress of the United States passed an excise tax on distilled spirits. Yeah. And the people who lived in the frontier had just finished helping the country win the Revolutionary War, which was based upon taxation without representation. So they weren't very keen on no. having a new tax. No, I can imagine. The history of whiskey is basically defined by the whiskey, the, the history of taxation, essentially. Um, they, let me get this right. They, the, the guys who fought in the Revolutionary War, lots of those are, are, are small distillers. They are distilling at home because it's it adds value to their product and it means they can they can seal they can sell it as a whiskey. A lot of the people in this part of the country and the whiskey rebellion wasn't limited to western Pennsylvania but this was kind of the the center point of it mm -hmm. were from Germany and they were scotch irish and they knew how to grow rock <coughs> because yeah. they were used to that climate. Uh, in Kentucky, they were more used to growing corn. In fact, yeah. because of the Whiskey Rebellion and the tax, a lot of people left Pennsylvania and went to Kentucky, and they started distilling corn, and that's how bourbon was born. That's how bourbon appeared. But they, they, the reason they were doing this was to, it was easier to transport a spirit. You know, if you were, if you were going to do it with corn or rye or any cereal, I mean, the infrastructure really wasn't conducive to, to transporting. You know, if you have a ton of, of corn, it's quite hard to move about and there's more chance of it rotting and spoiling. But if you distill it, you add value to it and it's easier to transport. And that, that's correct, isn't it? Exactly. And, and uh, you know, carrying sheaves of, of, of rye on horseback or on a wagon Mm -hmm. You may or may not get to market like 11 days away in the rain and yeah. keeping all that dry. But you can carry a whole lot of distilled rye. And uh, people didn't drink the water no. because it made them sick. So whiskey was the major thing that women, children, everyone drank whiskey. And there was no currency on the frontier. Yeah. So you needed to, something to barter with. And after you made flour and were able to make bread and you had leftover grain, you would distill it. It's a natural and natural thing to think. Yeah. If you needed a, some sugar or you, you wanted to buy your wife some fabric to make a dress, you traded whiskey for that. That was the main currency. So when the federal government comes along and says, we're going to tax you, and some of the some of the fines for not following the law were two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, they didn't have that kind of currency. No, they have to pay for it in whiskey. <laughs> well, yeah. they also they also had to travel eleven days to Philadelphia and wait for going to court. Yeah, in Philadelphia, and if you're a farmer and you have yeah. to leave for a month because somebody has cited you for not paying an excise tax, your whole growing season's shot, basically. Yeah, so it basically going to cost you a year's, a year's living as, as such, you know. It, it did. So uh, whiskey was not a luxury on the frontier. Yeah. On, the, on the seaboard, uh, there were larger distillers, 
they got a break on the excise tax because of the volume they did. And uh, in, in, in the frontier, people just did not pay the tax. They started attacking the tax collectors. They, and this is, this is the thing. Now, the, the, the government, the first Congress imposes this tax on, on, on distilled spirits, on whiskey. As you say, the larger distillers, they're not really affected that much by it because they can produce it in volume. It's really the, the, the smaller guys that are going to be hit hardest. Washington, George Washington, was he was a distiller, was he not? He was a distiller <laughs> after he uh, retired from the presidency. Mm. He, he had a Revolutionary War uh, officer as his caretaker at Mount Vernon. <laughs> and he came to him in 1797. The Whiskey Rebellion was in 1794. Uh, and he said, you know, we have all this grain. I think we should build a distillery and open it. <laughs> so they did. And in 1799, Washington was probably the largest distiller in the country. <laughs> he, he he did 11,000 gallons yeah. of whiskey. I, I'm just I'm just thinking, is there is there a connection with these records? There's no, no, the, 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 the tax has been reduced and, so, and a politician takes advantage of this. Amazing. But anyway, we'll, we'll get back to the... Um, to the rebellion, <clears throat> so they've imposed they've imposed the tax. Obviously, this is hitting the guys, uh, the likes of guys in Western Pennsylvania. It's them quite hard. Now, what's the first stages of the the, the rebellion starting? What what happens there? Well, once they figured out what the excise tax law required of them, uh, they got upset about uh, not only the tax, but you know. Not everyone could read and write, and there were very rigorous record-keeping requirements. You had to get a certificate from the tax inspectors mm. for all your whiskey that was made. You had to keep logs of it. You had to have signage on your distillery. Okay. And if you, did, if you could not prove that you had paid the tax, they could take your property including your wagons, your horse, your still, your, and uh, yeah. that didn't happen because the rebels didn't allow the tax collectors to even operate. Once somebody agreed to be a tax collector, they <laughs> would harass them. They yeah. would tar and feather them. <laughs> they would burn their, their barn. They would threaten them you know, with bodily harm if they didn't quit doing that. Yeah, and uh, so the people who did pay the tax, uh, the rebels also didn't like. They would harass them, and a lot of the rebels were called Tom the Tinker. Okay, uh, because a, a tinker was a person who fixed things. Yep, and if you paid the tax, Tom the Tinker's men would fix your still. <laughs> So, so people who were actually being law abiding, the, the the rebels decided to attack them as well. Um, they, it goes from it gets it gets more serious than just attacking um, a few stills of guys that are paying taxes and stuff. It grows, it gains momentum. Well, there was a Revolutionary War general by the name of uh, General John Neville. He lived north of Washington and south of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And 
they made him the regional inspector of the excess tax. Mm -hmm. And then he had a number of people who were tax collectors. Well, because people were ignoring and, and running off tax collectors, he got a federal marshal and he went to go see someone who hadn't registered their still or paid the tax. His name was Oliver Miller in a place south of Pittsburgh. And the neighboring farmers heard that they were there and started shooting their weapons off in the air and ran General Neville and this marshal off. Well, that stirred up the people who were against the tax and they were meeting and they were, they were trying to negotiate with the government on how to make the tax more palatable. Yeah. And they, they had meetings. The rebels would meet in different places and they decided that they should go to General Neville's home, which mm -hmm. was called Bower Hill and uh, confront General Neville and find out who was paying the tax. <laughs> so a contingent of men led, led by another Revolutionary War person uh, by the name of McFarland went to Bower Hill and demanded the records from those tax collectors who were actually successful, you know, getting people to pay the get, tax. Getting to pay up, yeah. And the general had a couple of soldiers from the fort in Pittsburgh there. And uh, McFarland thought that they had put up a white flag and stepped out from behind his protection and was, uh, excuse me, I need to back up. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Actually, there was gunfire broke out and Oliver Miller's nephew, who was with the rebels, was killed. So the rebels retreated. And the next day they came back with 500 men. Okay. And General Neville had, had left the plantation, but he got some soldiers from Pittsburgh to try to protect his property. But it was a small contingent, just a dozen or so men. So here 500 rebels show up. Yeah. And they were led by, by McFarland. McFarland thought they waved a white flag and stepped out to move forward to talk about a truce and he was shot and killed. So the rebels proceeded to burn down Neville's house and outbuildings, his slaves quarters. And uh, that was <clears throat> like the first real shots in the whiskey rebel whiskey rebellion. So the whiskey rebellion, it was basically a, 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 the leader of the rebels who weren't really rebels at this point. I mean, they were, they were okay. They were harassing stuff, but it wasn't hadn't went uh, went a step further when McFarland was shot. Well, yeah. Once they saw that they were trying to get serious and send out marshals to serve writs to make people go to Philadelphia to mm -hmm. stand trial for not complying with the law, that really riled up the citizens. Yeah. So. So the rebels kept meeting and the, their numbers kept growing. And there were people who were local politicians and respected uh, along with them, David Bradford, who was an attorney. And David Bradford got inflamed by all this and was 
wanting to take major acts to show the, the new government how serious they were about the injustice of this excise tax. Yeah. So David Bradford took his uh, rebels and they met at a place, strangely enough, called Whiskey Point. Uh, and they were, uh, they were 7,500 strong. The plan was to march on Pittsburgh and burn it down to prove the point about how serious they were. <laughs> well, it would prove a point, like if you just burned down, <laughs> burned down an entire town, I suppose, at that point. Um, at that point, Pittsburgh wasn't really much bigger than Washington. Yeah. Yeah. That it had the it had the federal fort and uh, the cooler heads among the rebels, including Albert Gallatin, who later became the Secretary of Treasury under a different administration, mm-hmm. uh, said, "Let's just have a show of force. Let's march on Pittsburgh." Well, Pittsburgh found out they were coming. It's kind of hard to hide yeah. seventy five hundred men, and they decided to meet these rebels outside of town with food and drink. All right, good. Excellent. And so they went to Pittsburgh and they met out of town and they they had some drink and they only wound up burning down one of General Neville's associates barn on the <laughs> hilltop overlooking Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh was spared. It's a, it's a bit of a climb down. <laughs> We're going to go and destroy Pittsburgh. And we'll just burn down one wee barn because they'll give us they'll give us some sandwiches and a couple of couple of glasses of whiskey, so we're all right. Um, but at this point now, Washington, the President Washington, obviously beginning to hear about this insurrection. President Washington and Alexander Hamilton decided. I mean, they tried to negotiate all the time to to calm things down, yeah. and sent emissaries out to the frontier. And the leaders of the of the rebels and the local politicians, the the owner of the Pittsburgh newspaper, all met and tried to hammer out things. And the 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 whiskey excise tax was levied in 1791. In 1793, they modified the law. Yeah, and they thought that that would calm things down. But what they said was. you you still have to pay the tax, but it's going to be based upon the capacity of your still. Yeah, they tried something similar to that in Ireland. Didn't go down well because um, it doesn't really work because it means you have to fire your still constantly to pay the tax, and the more you fire it up, the more you tax you have to pay. Um, so that just uh, that's a, uh, they've done the same thing over in Ireland, and it didn't work. Well, and that that was the issue with the with the farmers. If if they only had a little bit of grain left over, and they had a fifty gallon still, which was a pretty big still for farmers, yeah. and you wanted to make ten gallons of whiskey, you had to pay as if you made fifty gallons of whiskey. Yeah, exactly, and that that was the problem that happened over here. So that didn't really calm them down, but so, with with this march on Pittsburgh and the and people being killed at, at the Battle of Bower Hill. Uh, Washington and his Secretary of Treasurer uh, Hamilton thought that things were really getting out of hand. They, as I said, they didn't want commerce going down the river and dealing with Spain. 
they didn't want their uh, state, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, being out of hand. Yeah. And they thought it was time to raise a militia. And at that time, there was no standing army. No. The United States didn't have an army. So President Washington uh, asked for militia from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia, Mm -hmm. totaling 13,500 men. Now, this, uh, these guys are not particularly well trained. They're not. I mean, they're not a standing army. So essentially, you have thirteen thousand government troops go, going to be heading up against seven and a half thousand um, rebels. Uh, I mean, that that's in the fledgling state. This is going to be a, a fairly major issue because you know it's a, it's a brand new country essentially. David Bradford and some of the more vociferous rebels thought about uh, pulling away from the United States and forming their own country called. Yeah. Uh, and there was that in the wind. And of course, the new government didn't like that. And but the cooler heads wanted to see a resolution. And there were a lot of people sympathetic to keeping the new government alive. What were they going to call the country there, Michael? Did, did, it, did its name elude you, or, or, or could the United States of America be called the... Uh, whiskey the people's The <laughs> Whiskey Revel or the People's Republic of the <laughs> United States of America, or what? They thought that it should be called West Sylvania. West Sylvania. It's like Transylvania <laughs> almost. <laughs> and that, that was, you know, later on, there were other people who felt the same way as the country grew westward. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr had a duel, and uh, Aaron Burr was cited for treason because he wanted to create a, a country on the other side of the Ohio River with, with people. And so they were after him for treason. So it, it was a kind of a, you know, a common movement to yeah. look for freedom when when you have a government you feel is oppressing you. The other thing they didn't like was, as I mentioned, Bradford moved to town because he didn't want his wife attacked by the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. And at that time, there were massacres on either side of the. The yeah. frontier people would massacre Indians. The Indians would man- massacre frontiers people. Yeah. Uh, they didn't feel the, the federal government was protecting them. The roads to go back east to, to Philadelphia, the capital, were horrible. And it took so long. There were boundary disputes between Virginia and Pennsylvania, which yeah. ultimately resulted in the creation of the Mason-Dixon line that settled, mm-hmm. which part of this western pa was in virginia and which part was was in pennsylvania so there were a number of issues and the excise tax was like the last straw yeah now washington raises his his militia and he leads it himself he did lead it himself well you had uh, maryland and virginia are south of pennsylvania so you had the governor of virginia uh have Uh, Light Horse Harry Lee lead troops from Virginia. You had Mm -hmm. another officer leading troops from Maryland. 
and you had the New Jersey troops and the Pennsylvania troops. They all met up in the middle of Pennsylvania in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And they were led and reviewed by Washington. This was a larger force of men than Washington ever had in the American yeah. Revolution. Yeah. Now, the rebellion itself, it sort of peters out, does it? I mean, it's, it's, it's not as if there's a mass battle between these guys. Um, they come to a, a, a kind of agreement, don't they? They they saw that they were going to be outnumbered, and there were discussions about what, what they should do. But the rebellion just kind of fizzled out when they heard these troops were in Carlisle and moving that way. Yeah. Uh, David Bradford decided he better head south. He was found guilty of treason. All the other rebels, some were arrested uh, after the troops got there. Washington didn't go any further in Carlisle. He says, I've got to go back to Philadelphia and run the government. Uh, you and White Horse Harry Lee, uh, he's telling Alexander Hamlin, go and mop the rest of this up out in the West. So he went back to run the country and White Horse Harry Lee, who happened to be Robert E. Lee's father. Robert E. Lee was a Confederate general later yeah. in history. Uh, they they came to Washington, formed an encampment, and they began arresting rebels. They rounded up about 100 rebels in the middle of the night, and the worst of them were 20 people. This is in early December. Were marched back to Philadelphia in the cold. They've been rousted out of their bed without shoes or coats or uh any food they were marched for into philadelphia the streets were crowded with federalists in support of the government throwing things at them on christmas eve they marched by washington's house and ultimately they were pardoned yeah except for david bradford so david bradford the first these are the presidential pardons correct that that was you know, the excise tax was the first tax in our country by the yeah. first Congress. It was the first time troops were led by a president, first and only time. Yeah. First time troops fired on U.S. citizens. Yeah. And the first use of the presidential pardon. So the, pres- the president pardons all of the rebels? All except David Bradford. David's wife wrote and asked, George Washington to try to uh, get his her husband pardoned. And Washington had had dealings with Bradford. I think he handled some of his land deals in Pennsylvania. He owned a lot of land in Western Pennsylvania. And so I think he felt particularly aggrieved by Bradford, you know, turning on him like that. So when Washington left, and John Adams became president. He pardoned David Bradford in 1805. So he, so. Got, he got pardoned in the end. But I find it fascinating that the, the whiskey was was the the, the currency basically of, of the western part of the, the the fledgling nation of the U.S. and that <coughs> that this this rebellion was. So, so many firsts because it was such an important part of the the economy and the, and the life of the people over there. 
<coughs> excuse me. Now, you, your museums, you have two museums, the, the David Bradford House, the house that um, the, one of the leaders um, lived in. The museum across is totally to the Whiskey Rebellion, yeah? Yes, we we had to tell both stories at our National Historic Landmark, and it was kind of awkward because yeah. here you are walking through rooms showing how the family lived, and you had to weave in the Whiskey Rebellion. So we decided to build a separate museum that told that story, and we've been yeah. open for two years now. Yeah. Uh, and how you, are you getting visitors' numbers? Now, you, just to put it in context, you have a festival coming up on the 7th. We do have a festival. We have an annual festival we've been doing now for over 13 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it happens the second weekend of July every year. This year, that's the 7th and 8th. We have reenactments of tax collectors being tarred and feathered. <laughs> Can I get and Justin to be a, a tax collector in one of your things? <laughs> I, I would pay good money to see everybody that watches this show will pay good money to see him tarred and feathered. I promise you. So Most we definitely. We'll get, we'll get Justin over. I'll tar him and feather him. <laughs> we, have a, we have a period wardrobe. We could dress him up like a well, Justin like has his own period wardrobe. <laughs> I, I, I actually have my own period wardrobe, but that's another story. <laughs> By the way, guys, I, I have to give you a plug. I ah. went into my stash, and I've, I'm drinking a dram of Excellent. this 12-year-old Tullamore Dew that oh, I've oh, drug out of my my stash. Good well, I'll tell, and, you what, I'm going, I'll tell you what I'm going to have. Uh, I have a bottle of Beam's Choice. from the, I think it's from the 1970s. Um, and it says on it since since 1795 to the year <laughs> after the whiskey rebellion. Uh, so this is one of these old sort of historic Mashville bottlings. That I have I, don't, I can't even remember where I picked this up. So I love one of these in your honour. Um, <laughs> now the festival. Tell Cheers. us more about the festival. Cheers, chin chin. So uh, <laughs> the outcome of the whiskey rebellion <coughs> after the rebels kind of dissolved into the woodwork. Uh, they made all the citizens of Western Pennsylvania pledge allegiance to the government and that they would abide by the laws and wouldn't mm -hmm. cause trouble anymore. And so... Uh, so they all became moonshiners. <laughs> <laughs> the, presence, the, presence, the presence of the army brought some prosperity. Yeah, because the army had to have provisions. And one of the rebels <clears throat> was a was a minister by the name of Reverend John Corbley. Reverend Corbley uh, was responsible for opening more than 36 churches in the area. He was a Baptist, which is strange because there's a whole lot of presbyterians around here a lot of presbyterians turned over to baptist church i mean that was yeah. reasonably common but wasn't it reverend corbley lived outside of town and he was going to to church one sunday with his wife and daughters and he was lagging back because he was meditating about his sermon and uh his wife and daughters were set upon. His wife was killed. His daughters were scalped. And 
Reverend Corbley, uh, the Bibles that he had with him that he was meditating with are actually from the 1600s from England. And we have those on display here. But more interestingly, he was one of the 20 taken to Philadelphia on what we call the terrible night when they were drugged from their beds and marched across the state. Uh, Washington did not want the army to be viewed as a conquering army. These were the citizens. And so they asked Reverend Corbley to come up with a price list for selling provisions to the army. And we have some of those documents uh, that show what what it costs for provisions, including whiskey. And uh, (laughs) that started bringing currency yeah. To the Western states, they, they didn't have to barter. They didn't have a barter economy. The other thing it did was uh, the same year as the Whiskey Rebellion, the U.S. military had a battle in Ohio across the river. It's called the Battle of Fallen Timbers, which the Indians were defeated. And Washington was no longer, Washington PA was no longer threatened by the indigenous people. So Mm -hmm. life became more stable. To get 13,500 men across the state, they wound up improving the road. Uh, So the roads became better. Washington always thought there should be a good road to Western PA because as a young officer, he got his butt kicked uh, against (laughs) the French in in an earlier battle. And, And when Thomas Jefferson became president, two presidents later, Congress appropriated money to build the national road. At the same time, the Louisiana Purchase happened. And so people were moving westward because land was the way they paid revolutionary war soldiers. And when the country got bigger, they could afford to to give land grants and give people 40 acres and a mule (laughs) or a square mile, whatever. So uh, you had currency, (coughs) you had better roads, you had no more boundary disputes and no more attacks by Indians. Yeah, that's what. So, in some ways, the Whiskey Rebellion uh, helped the whole area in, in in general, and it certainly helped, I would imagine, with the the, the fledgling industry of of distilling, uh, because as we know, a lot of these guys started to head south, as you said, and and probably uh, they, they they started move over into Louisiana, Kentucky, all that area, and uh, help put up the, distill- the, the distillery trade in, the distilling trade in the U.S. Yeah, the, the, the rye whiskey from this area became a prized commodity, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's, it's, it found its way all around the country. Now, you know, bourbon is a little more popular than rye, although there's plenty of rye to be had. Oh, and, and more and more, more and more becoming available. And uh, this, you know, rye was was a crop in this area because it's cooler, and it was more predominant than than corn. But corn. now it's you can find corn, barley, and rye just about oh, everywhere in Pennsylvania. As we're talking, we've got single malts. We have all this stuff now, you know. But America's really where the the, the whiskey seems really going crazy over in the States now. I mean, it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger every day. 
it really is. And, and Justin, I apologize for probably going totally off the photo script. One other thing I should mention is we do have a still display in, in this Whiskey Rebellion Museum to show what a, a five-gallon still would produce. And <laughs> I had a hand in, in developing that. It was a lot of fun. Do I hear it hissing in the background? Do I hear it hissing <laughs> in the background? <laughs> no, Justin, that's me coming. Ask me coming with the tar. They just bung it over your head and tell you. That'd be great. So the, the Whiskey Festival is the 7th and the 8th of July? Correct. And and well, other than wishing that Justin could get tarred and feathered, um, do you have whiskey tastings? Is there music? Is there food? Uh, you know what, what all goes up. We have a uh, we have a tavern we open called the Blue Eagle Tavern that Excellent. has spirits and wine. Uh, we have we have uh, local beers. Uh, we have music. We have. Lots of food trucks. We have children. I'm going. Area. I'll be tarred and feathered. <laughs> yeah. You can have a lot of fun before you're tarred and feathered. Oh, 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 we'll, 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 we'll get them soaked up. We'll get, we'll get them softened up before, before we tar uh, them. We, <laughs> it's the largest festival in downtown Washington, and we have uh, thousands of visitors. Uh, it's totally free for the citizens, thanks to the largest of our sponsors that support us and uh, we've been doing it now for 13 years. Excellent and listen I hope it's every bit as successful going forward. I, I I love the fact that you know whiskey played such an important part in really the very early stages of the US um, and a lot, I really like the fact that it, a lot of it was people from my part of the world that went over and uh, the Scots-Irish arrived over and, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was nice to have that little connection. Justin, what intellectual thing are you going to come out with now? It's not intellectual. I just want to say how how much how much I did not like Alexander Hamilton, especially the musical <laughs> Hamilton. I hate it. Hate it with a vengeance. Justin, Justin, Justin. The only I'm an old Hickory supporter. Old Hickory, I love him. I'm sure you're. It came from a mile away from here. I'm sure you're. Justin, for Justin lives his uh, old Hickory's. Uh, Father left about eighteen months before uh, he was born, wasn't it? Something like that. Andrew Jackson was born about eighteen months after they left where Justin's from, uh, Carrick Fergus. So yeah, uh, so there's all these little connections, and it's nice to get chatting to you, Michael. Uh, stay in touch. Let us know how the festival gets on. Send us over some pictures, and please, please, please consider getting Justin Tarden. I might even tar and feather him here and send over the video of it. <laughs> Well, I was telling Justin before we went on that uh, even though he likes Andrew Jackson, David Bradford's son, David Bradford Jr., David escaped to Spain, which was then Spanish West Florida. It became Louisiana, and mm -hmm. he had a plantation. His daughter, Amanda, married Jefferson Davis's sister. Jefferson Davis was president of the Confederacy. So it seems like these people of wealth and power were well connected throughout the country. Ah, they would have been absolutely. I mean, I think Jackson Jackson founded the the Democratic Party, and it, it's interesting because he was the first elected um, sort of 
some and the first guy who wasn't one of the sort of gentry, if you like. Um, he was a, a commoner. It was like he's the first person in Western history uh, to be that. So yeah, but, but so many endlessly fascinating little things. Um, Michael, thank you very much for telling us all about the museum. Thank you for telling us about the festival. Thanks for the history lesson. And do stay in touch and let us know what happens uh, in July because it'll be interesting to see the pictures of it. Now. I will do that. And thank you both for inviting us. And uh, please tell your listeners to come see our museums if they're in this neck of the woods. If you're ever in Western Pennsylvania, why would you not? If you're Excellent. interested, thank you very much. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Michael. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitch, we're on Telegram. Wherever you get your podcast, just ask your smart speaker to play Irish Whiskey Review. Uh, I will give Russ the last word. Things haven't changed from no, then till now. No, taxing, no? Taxing, taxing whiskey. I think it's, I think it's time. What we'll do is, uh, to show, as a show of strength, we'll just tar and, just, tar and feather Justin in the middle of Belfast <laughs> during the week. <laughs> yep. Take it easy. Same time, same place next week. Take care, guys. Good night. Cheers. Bye. Take Cheers. care.